0: Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We've gone through two years of the COVID 19 pandemic and maybe at a turning point with the virus. But mentally, people are still dealing with the effect of all that came with the pandemic. Those effects are certainly showing up in our schools. This week, the Tucson Unified School Board joined a number of other school boards across southern Arizona in laying out plans to relax masking requirements. Stress and the mental health of students were part of that discussion. But Dr. Leah Falco, an associate professor of counseling at the University of Arizona College of Education, says while student mental health is a common topic of conversation, it's nothing new.
1: This entire experience, I think, has really just shined a big light on the existing mental health challenges that so many students already faced. So for school counselors and school counselor educators, I think being able to view their practice through that lens in addition to focusing on the other parts of the work of school counseling um, will be something ongoing from here on
0: out. We've heard anecdotally that there have been more discipline problems in K-12 schools during especially this academic year as the schools tried to return to something close to normal coming back to class. How much of that do you think was tied to just general stress and mental health of all this situation that we're all going through?
1: Probably a pretty good proportion. Um, and. Especially for our younger students who might be experiencing this pandemic and the disruptions to their own schooling in ways that they can't quite understand or articulate uh, the ways that older students might be able to. So a lot of times mental health challenges or challenges in general will manifest in, in behavior problems for students.
0: The College of Education began the Talk It Out program in the Tucson Unified School District. What is that program?
1: That is a partnership between the counseling program in the College of Education and Tucson Unified School District, which is the largest school district in Tucson. And we began in 2019 with our pilot programming and have ramped up ever since. We barely got a year under our belt before pandemic. Um, But the model is um, one where we use uh, practicum training, uh, much like uh, other disciplines like College of Medicine, um, where you're um, using those students in their graduate training programs as part of their clinical experience, uh, then they're able to provide services free of charge. So that's what our counseling students do. They go out into the into the schools in uh, Tucson Unified and now um, on Zoom using telehealth um, (laughs) techniques to provide mental health counseling for students and families uh, free of charge.
0: You mentioned and families, of course, especially during the height of the pandemic when everybody was at home, it wasn't just students.
1: Correct. And You know, everything is inextricably linked. So we really take an ecological approach when we think about student wellness and that includes school systems, It includes family systems. So to be able to provide services in a more holistic and integrated way uh, is really important. So being able to respond to the needs of families and not just individual students, uh, we find is very uh, helpful and of course necessary.
0: Why take that program into the schools? Why not just say, you know, put up flyers, make announcements, et cetera, at the schools that say, we have this program, come over to the university or come over to another facility?
1: So part of our mission and philosophy uh, behind the, the program partnership was the idea of access and accessibility. So making services not only free, but also Easy and more normal, um, and we f- feel very strongly that embedding them in the schools, so integrating the services, embedding them within the schools, and making it school-based, gets at that accessibility issue. So when you bring, you make something community-facing, when you put put it out there and integrate it. Uh, not only is it easier, it's also a little bit less intimidating, I think, for students and families to get the help that they need.
0: I was going to ask you uh, about that intimidating factor, as you called it, maybe the stigma other people say. Is it just easier? Oh, we're just going over to the school for a meeting, is the answer, versus we're going to seek mental health services counseling.
1: Absolutely. I think. Stigma is an important barrier to consider when it comes to seeking help, uh, but it's certainly not the, the only barrier. Um, it, again, just sort of going back to our, our guiding philosophy and embedding services, it's also convenient. And because Tucson Unified has family resource centers, uh, which is where Talk It Out provides services when we provide services in person, um, a lot of families are just accustomed to walking in the door at a resource center and accessing all sorts of things. So we added mental health counseling uh, to the menu of options of services that they're able to access when they walk in the door. So it's, it's all of those things. It's convenience, it's accessibility, and it's um, normalizing help seeking.
0: Are schools playing a different role now when it comes to the non-academic needs of students, and it sounds like their families?
1: I think that's a question that is yet to be answered. <laughs> so I can I can tell you what I think they ought to be doing, <laughs> um, and I think that they do schools do need to uh, really reimagine their role in supporting student mental health and thinking about really what that looks like for the long term. So we've had this pandemic experience. Um, we've been confronted with a lot of uh, challenges that uh, result from the pandemic experience. Student mental health being really front and center, um, as far as I'm concerned. and. Yeah, I think we as, as a community and as educators and as families and as stakeholders all have to really think long and hard about the role that we want schools to play in, in supporting student mental health and, and really what that looks like.
0: That was Dr. Leah Falco, a professor at the University of Arizona's College of Education. One of the things Dr. Falco mentioned was a reimagining of the role of schools when it comes to student mental health. Helping with that is a Tucson nonprofit called Higher Ground. It's linking all kinds of providers with the schools and getting them into the schools. Jansen Arzaria Susimoto is the group's CEO and co-founder.
2: An idea is simple. Our schools are education facilities. They're academically trained. We are asking our schools to deal with social work, to deal with mental health, to deal with psychology, to deal with sociology, things that they are not trained and designed for, but they need to address because as I've told you, it shows up in their classroom even before the pandemic. The solution is actually not to give the school more funding to have these resources, because what's happening is, for example, we have this great effort of giving schools funding for social workers and all of this supports. The problem is we already have a teacher shortage, right? So what makes people think that our schools can attract high quality social workers and all these kind of work when we can't even attract? Right now, we're having difficulty attracting, you know, teachers, that we're, we're, that's actually the center of school. So we have a lot of unfilled positions that there's funding for it, but it's unfilled positions, or they attract young ones who have no experience yet in this kind of work. And so the model is, what if we allow schools to just work academics, and we actually create a partnership with a nonprofit organization whose expertise is community collaboration and development. And that nonprofit is housed in the school and acts as a switchboard so that they're the ones dealing with the social work, all the mental health, all the non-academic issues, working with the partners, working with El Rio, working with La Frontera, United Way, all the other partners that exist, all the other nonprofits who have expertise on the non-academic issues What if they're the ones taking care of that? That allows the principal and the teachers to focus on what they are good at, which is academics. It allows our organization to be able to focus on what we're good at, coordinating all these services, triaging. The families have a bridge. They don't even realize that there's an organization outside of the school at their school. They just think, oh, it's another school staff member who's just really well-resourced and knows all these partners, and we're taking care of all of that for the school. In turn, teachers have an easier time in the classrooms. Principals have an easier time engaging the families and focusing on academics and curriculum.
0: So why do this through the schools? Why not just, as you said, partner with El Rio um, and, and just use their facilities? Why go to the schools?
2: Because we need to go where the community is at. And quite honestly, we need to go to the last vestige of system that the community still has some level of trust with outside of the fire department. I mean, when when you really look at it, um, you know, we have the community, I mean, we've lost trust in government systems, law enforcement. We've lost trust in a lot of systems. But school remains to be one system that the community fully trusts to a degree because we're sending our kids there, right? They, we, we, have to, we have to have that. And they're showing up there. And the truth of it is, every time the parent drops off or a kid walks in, that is a microchasm that represents what's happening in that neighborhood and there's so much that can happen there and so um, a lot of it is when all these nonprofits are actually able to go to the school as the hub uh, you remove transportation issues you remove trust issues of like you know stigma like we have parents that don't want to go to mental health uh, facilities because there's a stigma there but they're willing to do intake at the school with a mental health Person, they're willing to do it right there because it's a school. They don't feel that they're stigmatized for taking care of it. There are parents that can't access the food pantry. We have a partnership with with, with a lot of the schools have a partnership with the community food bank, right? Because parents can't access the main food bank, transportation, and all of that. And there's still again the stigma, but they'll access it at their school. They know it's there. With it, vaccination clinics at the And we were able to, you know, hundreds of people showing up, families, even non-school members that are walking distance, because, again, it's right there. There's the trust and there's the neighborhood that exists right there.
0: How do you expand this out of the schools you're working with? Because, as you said, the problem is not just one school or maybe a couple of schools in a neighborhood. It's much larger than that in a city like Tucson, in a county like Pima.
2: First off is sustainable funding. In every community where this has worked, there is a statewide bipartisan support um, legislation, and there's some funding that's coming from there. And then there's also support from the business community. At some point, there needs to be a conversation around how it's beyond programs. We need to support system shifts, right? I mean, we got to go beyond band-aid Programs, which is often what's funded, and actually look at an entire systemic shift and begin funneling funding around that. That's one. The second thing is really around more conversation and exposure around this. Um, again, it's a different way of doing things. It's a strategy, and also capacity. You know, as much as we would love to, let's say somebody dropped a million dollars, you know, we could do it in five schools right now with a million dollars. Add five more. There's also the reality that the team. This is dependent on people. We need to be able to recruit a team that's culturally competent, and understands the uniqueness of each community. There's no cookie cutter approach here. All our five sites are very different. We have one site that we deal with mostly refugees. We have one site that it's mostly Native American population, one site mostly Hispanic, one site mostly African American, and one site that's actually in the heart of, you know, downtown, but has a different set of again, different set of community. They're very different culturally and we have to have the right people, the right training um, and, and the right community conversations and partners for each of the sites. So there's also this wider community effort, the leadership of the city and the county, um, both from government, business, healthcare, we all need to band together and really create these strategies together. So there's a bigger conversation to be had in order to make this happen.
0: I can see leaders or, or elected officials hearing about this and saying, oh, that's a great idea but never really having the conversation, never really getting going with it. Do you find that or do you find that those leaders, those elected officials, when they hear about what you're doing, say that's a great idea and they actually get behind it?
2: It is definitely both. We have extremely supportive, uh, for example, county supervisors, Um, both parties extremely supportive um they've done tours they're vocal supportive of it and they fully understand it Um, on the legislative side we have uh, both parties again that are actually supportive and and embrace the concept and i'm also not gonna lie there's a lot of navigation around um language Um, you know unfortunately we're in a very divided time politically so Saying the right language and finding the right people, depending on which party we're talking to, is actually part of the strategy and understanding that. And then there's also, to be honest, um, you know, it's education is a talking point, but not an actionable focus for most of the leaders that we work with and being really diplomatic in the way I'm wording this, right? Um, But the truth is, yeah, everybody talks about education, but when you really look at the policies that are being passed or the actions or where they're putting the money, it's really not quite there.
0: You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Students are back in the classroom and mask rules are relaxing, but the mental toll on our kids is real and still there. Vanessa Sini is the Regional Director of Behavioral Health Operations at El Rio. She says over the last couple of years, they've seen an increase in behavioral health needs for children.
3: El Rio serves 37,000 youth um, from infants all the way up through 18 for pediatric um, medical services and dental. Um, And we have noted, um, as everywhere, that the pandemic. Does seem to have a correlation to increase of uh, depression, anxiety, and substance use, particularly for our adolescents. We screen our patients for depression depression screening when they come in, and we've had about ten thousand five hundred depression screens, for example, were done in um, twenty twenty, and we noted that twenty three percent of our youth were positive for symptoms of depression. Um, The same in 2021. So it is a significant area of need where um, we are recognizing the delivery of behavioral health services within our system of care is an important um, area to focus on. So to that end, we've been working diligently to bring up services for mental health, substance use, or youth within El Rio. We currently serve adults for behavioral health outpatient services, and we are now serving youth who are um, using opiates, and we soon will be serving youth for mental health and have been working closely with our foundation to bring up these services and um, within our system as well
0: when it comes to getting mental health services we've heard anecdotally a lot of adults say boy i could really use the opportunity to talk to somebody as we as we've moved through the pandemic but they've had trouble because there just aren't enough providers i would imagine providers i guess technically it would be pediatric providers but providers for kids adolescents uh, or or younger It'd be even a smaller number. Are you finding the providers you all need to, to get them your clients' help?
3: Yes, and that's a great question. We know that the first line of engagement when anyone is experiencing difficulty is typically their primary care physician or their pediatrician. Uh, patients and families feel most comfortable with that engagement. You know, some of that is based on stigma, but they also have a relationship um, with their primary care and pediatricians. So we are finding that for youth and for adults, but um, specifically talking about youth, that, that when they present to their pediatrician, they are sharing or their guardian or parents are sharing Uh, specifically around adolescents 12 and older, that they have been experiencing um, issues with mental health, particularly around the isolation, social withdrawal that happened because um, no longer being able to be present at school, no longer being able to participate in really important milestones for kids, right? Graduation, birthday parties, seeing their friends, after-school activities, sports, The other really relevant part of this is the trauma that our youth have been experiencing. You know, um, recently there was an alert put out by our Surgeon General in December related to um, youth mental health and the significant needs of our youth right now. And in his report, he cited that 140,000 children in the United States as of June 2021, lost a parent or grandparent to COVID. That Those are very high percentages. And so our youth are also struggling with the trauma of grief and loss and um, the security that comes from their caregiver. We um, surveyed our pediatricians in 2021, and they um, confirmed that um, our youth are very much dealing with a lot of these mental health um, challenges that I just described, and they also are experiencing difficulty accessing services in our community. I have one example of a parent, for example, that had to drive to Phoenix to see a child psychiatrist. Um, so because of all those reasons, El Rio Health is going to be um, implementing a youth mental health pilot to start outpatient services for our youth here at El Rio at our El Pueblo um, Health Center.
0: And I understand to help with that, you all did a a job fair, uh, a hiring fair this week, right, to try and get that staffed up.
3: Yes, that's right. We have been doing job fairs. We also have been um, recruiting and focusing our efforts on that. Um, You know, I'm pleased to share that, you know, just based on El Rio's long history in our community and the trust from our community um, and our reputation, that we have been successful in recruiting behavioral health professionals. Um, We have recruited a child psychiatrist. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner who specializes in youth, and you really do want to have professionals that have experience, particularly with this population. We have clinicians and case managers and nurses as well, um, but we always need more because the need is great. So we're in continual efforts to recruit staff to behavioral health, but we have had successes around it in the last year as well.
0: A lot of these problems, of course, manifest in the schools. That's where our kids spend a lot of their day. Is El Rio doing anything with the schools to to reach out and to go where the kids are necessarily?
3: Yes, um, we have and will continue to do that. And um, through our Health Builders program, it's a health and wellness uh, prevention program, if you will, called Creating Healthy Tomorrows Stress Strategies. Um, two of our just exceptional staff here created um, stress strategies uh, pre-COVID and continue through COVID to offer that to teachers and students virtually and now will be going back into schools. And it's really, if you will, a mindfulness program for parents and youth to help them deal with stress. Um, it was developed by our staff, Kyla James and Gloria Montijo, and it's been very successful. And we will continue to do that and now have an opportunity to go back in person, which is really positive.
0: One of the things that you said is and families. So it's not just the kids. You're, you're working with everybody.
3: Absolutely. It's really important when you work with children and, and any patient that you are working with the entire support system um, around that person, including um, the parents of youth, because they are very important in the success of that youth, receiving services, continuing in services, and being part of the service plan by offering family support and ensuring that that parent feels that they're getting um, the resource support and accessibility they need. And that if um, one of our patients, youth or adults, is in crisis, that they're aware of how to contact us. Every day, we ensure that we have um, crisis appointments available to our patients so that they can be seen, so that we can step in and provide important intervention before that crisis escalates.
0: Everyone is talking now about the pandemic maybe becoming more endemic. Uh, things are changing. Things are relaxing, at least for the time being. But these programs you're putting in, maybe the pandemic brought it all to a head. But these are long-term programs. You don't expect these problems to be going away.
3: No, uh, we don't. I mean, there's a lot of residual effects from the pandemic. I talked about grief and loss. I talk about trauma Um and adverse childhood experiences that our youth have had. They do have an impact on our patients, both youth and adults, but I'm really proud of El Rio and being part of the El Rio system of care because we have recognized this and we've grown our behavioral health services over the last two years and will continue to grow our services um, for youth over the years as well. We started a mission of hope through our foundation to support the expansion of services uh, for our youth at El Rio.
0: That was Vanessa Sini with El Rio. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.